0: Hello friends, and welcome once again to Lots of Planets Have a North, a northern Doctor Who podcast. I'm Kieran, i I'm Bethan. I'm Jacob. And today we're doing a special episode talking about our relationships with Doctor Who, how we got into it, what kind of appealed to us about it, and all that kind of jazz. To start with the, um, the sort of logical starting point then, what is each of your earliest memories of of being aware of Doctor Who?
1: Um. So I think actually the first time that I became aware of Doctor Who as a program, if I recall correctly, was I'm pretty sure that Blue Peter did a sort of segment like, I don't know why they would do, why they were doing this, but some sort of segment on Doctor Who as like a, a children's show from the past or something. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm pretty sure that I had seen like, seen some little... Clips of Classic Doctors through that before the new series came on, but obviously that was like that was just an awareness, it wasn't Mm. didn't build to any other kind of relationship with the show. And then much later in 2005, I remember seeing an advert for the new series. I'm not sure what I would have been watching on television that the advert was shown on, maybe it was something on children's TV, I'm not sure. But I remember watching it and sort of saying, remarking to my siblings that it looked good. And my mum and dad were around in, in the room and they said, Oh yes, that's Doctor Who. We know what that is. It's coming back. We'll have to watch it. And so then that that was what made us all sort of sit down as a family and watch the first episode of the new series, Rose. Because I don't think we'd really done that with a show before where we all sat down and watched The episodes together, which I think was pretty much what we did for every episode whilst I was living at home. So that's kind of where that began. And then obviously when I did watch the first episode, I was sort of ready to devote a large portion of my time slash life to thinking about it. (laughs) And that was where that sort of began, really.
0: So do you remember roughly when the Blue Peter thing was? Because I'm interested in that.
1: I don't. I I can only assume that it was before the new series started just because I feel like it would be more concretely linked to the new series in my head if it wasn't Mm. but I actually have no fix on when that might have been I just think that I sort of knew what Doctor Who was before it came back but I and I think that that was how
0: Mm. um, the reason I'm wondering is I'm just wondering if it might have been around 2003 when the the 40th anniversary was and when the existence of the new series um was announced the, it was announced that they were going to make a new series
1: oh as early as 2003 that was announced yeah in that case that might have been when it was because hmm. i i feel like they would have had a some kind of impetus for them to be doing this segment and i feel like it would make sense for it to be some kind of anniversary and especially if the yeah. new series had been announced i think that that may that may well be right because that would tally with my recollection of it being sort of some substantial amount of time before the new series actually starting, but not sort of ages and ages before, obviously.
0: Mm. So to establish a context, if it was 2003, you would have been 10?
1: If it was 2003, I would have been 9 or 10.
0: Mm. Well, if it was around the anniversary, then it would have been November, I guess.
1: Then I would have been 10. Yes. Uh, And then when the new series came out I was eleven, I think. Mm. Um, so that's context for when we get to talking about our reactions to the show, that's that's where it fit into my lifespan.
0: Jacob, what's your earliest memory of Doctor Who? Oh,
2: wow. Well, I guess it was something that was I was always aware of, so my dad grew up with it. My dad saw the very first episode. So Oh cool. Yeah like he, he he I think he mentioned it a few times and obviously like there's like iconic stuff that is just around like I'm pretty sure I saw Dalek before I ever watched an episode mm. but um the real first proper interaction with it would be when my dad bought two videos from a charity shop one of which was more than 30 years in the TARDIS
0: um, that was which, the um, documentary series that was originally made for the thirtieth anniversary. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a kind of overview, I guess, yeah. of the whole thing. And then the other one was the Patrick Troughton years. So like, there's VHSs for like every doctor, and it like goes through like kind of two or three episodes that kind of sum them up in some way, and a load of other stuff as well, like behind the scenes stuff. Apart from Tom Baker's one, because he didn't want to do it that way, and he does it a different way which involves okay. him watching clips and reacting to... It, <laughs> and it's great. <laughs> but um, So I, I think I think we started with the Patrick Troughton stuff. So the first Doctor I ever saw was Patrick Troughton, which is strange yeah. for someone of my age. Even weirder, the first episode I saw, that means, would be The Abominable Snowmen, the only episode that was actually in existence. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I just came into this thing halfway through, not knowing what was going on. And then the other one on it was The Enemy of the World, which hadn't been found at the time. Yeah. That was the only episode.
0: Because that was found in 4 quite recently, wasn't it? Yeah. In the last few years. Yeah.
2: yeah. So that that was the first two things I saw. And then, I think after that, then I watched The More Than 30 Years in the TARDIS, which again Mm -hmm. was like, told me a lot about the programme and what was going on with the programme. And there was a lot of clips... But, like, I didn't really see a full story as such. And the first full story i have seen, like, uh, would be Rose. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's very, very strange way to get into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I was sort of similar in that I had this general cultural awareness of Doctor Who long before I ever actually watched it. I mean, I think, especially um, for any overseas listeners, it's quite hard to... To overstate how soaked into the cultural context Doctor Who is in Britain, but even in Ireland to to a great extent, because it's actually it would be hard to find anyone who grew up in these islands in like the 70s, 80s, even 90s, who didn't have some awareness of what Doctor Who was, whether or not they actually watched it themselves.
3: Mm.
0: And for myself, I know I definitely came across references to Doctor Who in various things over the, over the years of my childhood I remember coming across this is a weird one actually but I I can remember there was a book series I used to enjoy the police are coming to arrest me now for whatever I'm about to do. books <laughs> contraband
2: doctor who videos um,
0: the yeah um, Get
1: those bad boys over the border quick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there was a book series called, I can't remember what it was called. It was about a vegetarian vampire. I remember that. Uh, and I remember in one book, there was a list of like, there was a this weird scene at like um, passport control in an airport where someone was frantically checking a list of what wasn't allowed into the UK, tra- checking under D because one of them was Dracula because uh, it just let a vampire in. Oh, uh, but one of the things on the list was Daleks. And so I remember kind of being aware that Dalek meant something scary, something like monstrous, but no context for it for quite a while. Mm. And the first time I remember properly having context was actually—I uh, don't know if if the two of you would remember this—but around when *Horrible Histories* was, the books were becoming really popular. There were a load of like basically imitators in different kind of. Different fields, different genres.
1: Horrible science. Yeah.
0: Um, Horrible geography. Yeah. For yeah. some reason, they just ignored the that fact that uh, alliteration was a thing.
1: Um, murderous maths. Oh, that,
0: okay. I was, uh, didn't know that one.
1: Dead famous. They were quite. Yeah, good. I remember dead famous. Um, yeah. But yeah. What, <laughs>
0: the one I could, I'm thinking of, I can't remember what series it was in, but it was on special effects, and it talked quite a bit about Doctor Who. And uh, it talked, and it talked about it as something that was very innovative. And that kind of pushed boundaries in its way. Uh, that was, def- That was, I think, where I first came across what Daleks actually were. Mm. It had the thing, it had the joke about, like, oh, they can't climb staircases. Which made, when I watched Dalek, which was the first time I actually encountered a Dalek, as it were, all the more interesting.
1: I actually, uh, talking about first knowledge of Daleks, uh, there was actually a Dalek, and possibly the same one is still there, in the National Media Museum in Bradford which I used to go to quite a bit with my parents as, like, a day out. So I had seen that Dalek before I sort of knew what the show was or watched it. Uh, the cops are coming to arrest me for my Dalek.
0: <laughs> for your um, your Dalek awareness?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: this is going to happen a fair bit. We live next to a main road.
1: <laughs> I don't know how much it's actually going to show up, so it might just sound like we're getting really paranoid. Or is it definitely it's on the recording? Up. Okay, well, at least it's not just going to sound like we're sort of... Just weirdly worried. paranoid just, every just, few just, minutes. Just, just feel like we're breaking the law. So the other thing was my dad also claims to have seen the first episode of Doctor Who when it was broadcast, but I don't know if that's actually true, because <laughs> partly because being a huge fan, I sort of am inclined to think, oh, well, if he'd seen the first episode, then how could he have not become hooked and watched all the subsequent episodes ever since, which he did not do. But, um, yeah, apparently he was watching it when it was broadcast. But he would have been quite young. I'm not sure how old exactly.
0: I'm not sure if my parents saw the saw it early on. I've, I'm, and, and this is annoying because I was talking to them at the weekend and I actually meant to ask them about their Doctor <laughs> Who memories, mine them for information, uh, but I forgot. So I'll do it at some point. Uh, We can have like a follow-up where I talk about my parents. Um, But yeah, we'll, we'll come to that.
3: One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken
1: in mine.
0: Um, So, am I right in thinking, then, that both of your first episodes was Rose?
1: Yes, for me. Um, Well,
0: kind of. Well, first full story. Yeah, first full story was Rose. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, that's interesting. Because mine was not. So, I talked about how I had this kind of general awareness of Doctor Who. And, you know, it was quite hard to actually find it on the, the television before the new series came along. But I remember sort of encountering it somewhere... Are in so, on some satellite I'm, I'm told UK gold used to show it and um, mm-hmm. so it might have been there but like some weird channel like that so I can and I can remember a couple of images but I have no idea what the episodes were because I can remember I definitely saw a black and white historical I know that for sure and that was the first episode I saw so I figure that must have been Hartnell yeah but I don't know which story it was. I, which is has really frustrated me ever since. And then I, I can remember seeing another episode. And I stress episode, not story. The problem with that one is... All I can remember is there were caves. And it was in colour. So it could be <laughs> any one of like a couple of dozen stories. I have a vague memory that Tom Baker might have been the Doctor in it. But like, I wouldn't even really have known who was who at that point. I just, I think... It probably was Tom Baker, because it was someone I recognized at the, as the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And even at that point, I had the idea of the Doctor being this man with big scarf and the hat and stuff. So I think it probably was him. Apart from that, my first proper story, I'm pretty sure, was World War Three. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I became a fan. Um,
1: I can't believe that we're actually here this day recording after that introduction to the show.
2: I, <laughs> and I thought mine was unusual. This is... Uh,
1: yeah. This is
2: perverse. A revelation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, when the new series came along, I regarded it with, with a kind of interest. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that sounds cool. That's something I should definitely, like, uh, have a look at. But for some reason, just didn't for four weeks. Mm. And then... For whatever whimsical reason, and on the fifth week, just kind of decided to tune in along with my dad. I remember I don't know if any of the rest of my family were there, but certainly my dad. And I, the thing is, I remember almost nothing about that viewing experience, which kind of tracks with the episode. Mm. To be perfectly honest, the main thing I can remember is the preview for the next episode.
2: Ah, uh, right.
0: Because in the preview for the next episode there was a Dalek and I thought I know what those are and so Dalek was the episode that got me into this for some reason I didn't mention this in our last um, marathon on <laughs> series one but uh, Dalek was more than any anything the episode that got me into the series. So like when watching Rose did you were you like hooked at that point or did it take a few episodes to kind of get in?
1: I feel like my recollection is that I was hooked at that point. That's how I feel like it was looking back. I'd have to check with my family, but I feel like as soon as I saw Rose, I was sort of Mm. like, this is the best show ever. (laughs) I am going to devote my whole life to this because I I have like, I have books that were given to me for sort of Christmas or birthdays Hmm. kind of immediately after just that first series. Mm. So certainly by then, it was a big part of my life.
0: Because you've got the annual from that year, haven't you?
1: I do have the annual for that year and the annual for the year afterwards. Yeah. And Monsters and Villains, it seems to fall off a bit book-wise after that. Uh, maybe mm. I do have other annuals somewhere. Uh, I've also got... 1977 annual yeah. uh, <laughs> so there's a there's a bit of an odd mix <laughs>
0: i like that the um, the older annuals that we are currently looking at on the shelf are the doctor who annual but doctor doctor is spelt dr which is like something that the bbc would never allow these days that um, would have
1: been a really good time for the police sirens to go up <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah the one without a year is a trout and one Oh right! Um, ah. I don't know what year. It's that
2: explains from. why it's that sort great of That may be quite scale. valuable. <laughs> really? Possibly, I don't know. <laughs> Emotionally, <laughs> yeah, Emotional yeah it wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me.
1: Well, it's mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so certainly by the end of Eccleston, would you say you were?
1: I think before, definitely before the end of that series, because I also remember somebody telling me in the sacristy in church when we were getting ready to go on the altar to like serve some altar. <laughs> Um to do some maths. Yeah. Cool. Uh, when I was just about to fling the Thurible recklessly into the <laughs> wind. Um someone telling me that Chris they'd heard that Christopher Eccleston wasn't staying on for longer than one series and I remember being really, really disappointed mm. and upset. So um I was definitely invested enough that I specifically wanted Christopher Eccleston to continue as the doctor even, so I think I was well into it by then.
0: My memory, I can remember David Tennant being cast, but I don't think I was super invested at that point. Because I know Eccleston's leaving was announced, like, around the time The End of the World aired. So, like, right at the beginning of the series, basically. I don't remember when Tennant was cast, but I can can remember hearing about it, and it meaning something to me, but not being super invested in it. Mm. So... I assume that was like a little bit later.
1: Oh, I actually like would have been extremely unaware of stuff like that later on because for like a period of a few years after the first series, I avoided anything that might remotely be considered a spoiler with a sort of Ah. maniacal zeal. Like I wouldn't watch the preview at the end of the episode. I think I was doing that even in the first series. I would put my fingers in my ears and close my eyes and i also sort of subscribed to dr who magazine but sometimes when i knew there was a new when the new series news was starting to come out i just wouldn't read them until the series had started Oh okay um so that i wouldn't see a picture of a dune and be overwhelmed yeah (laughs) so i i was um deliberately not being aware of fandom news because i thought that it would spoil the pure enjoyment experience of unfiltered glories or something i don't know <laughs>
0: i assume jacob with the like the kind of background you had you were kind of primed already
2: yeah when, yeah. when you watched um, rose i was I, I, I to be honest i think i was already hooked mm. from the the weird fragmented like clips and random episodes that i'd already seen that was that wasn't that long before Rose that would have been I reckon about a year before the new series started quite why someone was getting rid of those videos when the new series was starting yeah that's interesting but but, yeah like it wasn't that long before and that was kind of why when the trailers came out I was like yeah I want to watch this but um I Remember my dad voicing disapproval at the state of the TARDIS, because uh, <laughs> the TARDIS is in the trailer with Rose and Christopher Eccleston yeah. in one of them, and he was like, "It looks like something out of a scrapyard." <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I disapprove of that TARDIS, to be honest. But um,
1: how how old were you when the when the new series? started? I think I was
2: about ten, maybe.
1: Oh yeah, because I would have been. Yeah,
2: you, you were twelve. Yeah. yeah.
1: So. Yeah that that was something like that
2: yeah, yeah um, for context i was 14 but yeah it was i think um, kind of having that fragmented uh, introduction to it kind of almost like built up the mystery more mm. because it was like there are these things i don't know what they mean i want to fill in all these gaps and yeah and then i think when i really really got into it was that first episode and that was what started it <laughs> But I
1: had a similar thing with starting to watch classic who where it was so sort of filling in the gaps actually because I one of the excellent books purchased shortly after the first of the new series is ad that I have is a uh, monsters and villains hmm. which uh, presumably because they didn't have enough material just from one series to make a whole book about it they Mm. include a lot of material from the classic series when they're talking about all of the monsters so i think even the yetis from the abominable snowman Mm. make it in there so that was when i sort of became properly aware that there was this whole history to the show and i was kind of intrigued to find out more about that because i felt it was kind of more doctor who stuff that already existed before without having to wait for the next episode or series to come out, that was all this, like, untapped stuff. And so I started, like, um, borrowing whatever DVDs could be borrowed from the library. And my uncle, who has a uniquely strong stance in that he has not watched any Doctor Who after Tom Baker left, but is really into Doctor Who, but when Tom Baker left, he was he cut all ties. <laughs> <laughs> um, he had a good selection of DVDs of... Uh, Pre Peter Davison episodes, <laughs> mm. so that's how I first saw City of Death and the Autons episode from the episodes from the Pertwee era. So that was another avenue of research, and I was also lent some DVDs of uh, William Hartnell's first few stories by huh? uh, a director, a director at the local youth theatre that I went to, who is now just my friend. Uh, so thanks, Pip. What can also, I say? Thank you. thank you, Doctor. Thank you. I'm very welcome.
0: You know...
3: I love being you.
0: Back when I first started at the very beginning, I was always trying to be old and grumpy and important, like you do when you're young. And then I was you. And I was all dashing about and playing cricket and my voice going all squeaky when I shouted. I still do that, the voice thing. I got that from you. Oh! And the trainers. And snap because you know what doctor
3: you were my doctor today is to come all my love to long ago
0: yeah there was something interesting about coming into it at that point I think uh, at the beginning of the new series and realising that there was all this kind of archaeology to do Mm. one of the things that sparked my interest and I'm kind of eternally grateful for this is actually the BBC doctor who website Uh, because uh, it was really good. It was, it was put Mm. together, I believe actually, or overseen by James Goss, who has gone on to write a bunch of doctor who things, a bunch of books, and I think some uh, big Finnish audios as well. But what it did was it provided this really great context. It had all, it had a bunch of clips of each of the Doctors. Uh, well, the first seven Doctors. Because okay. um, at that point, Paul McGann's canonicity was actually still kind of in debt. Ooh. And so I remember, I, I can remember seeing clips from, uh, I can remember seeing like the the fourth Doctor's regeneration there, which is something that I think I had kind of seen on general clip shows and stuff before as this big historic moment in, in television.
1: Bethan's but, uncle unsubscribes.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can remember the one clip they had to sum up the entire Sylvester McCoy era. The entire three years of Sylvester McCoy was the end of The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Uh, where he's just the bit where he's walking away from the circus as it's being destroyed. Which tells you nothing yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's why it took me until like a year ago to get even really get into Sylvester McCoy at
2: all. And it's a great shame, because there's so much good Sylvester McCoy stuff, as I will keep saying. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely.
0: And in fact, I the reason I got into Sylvester McCoy at all was that Jacob gave me a loan of Curse of Fenric and Ghostlight on DVD. So he started me then down that path.
1: It is quite strange, because I remember even at this early time, I, I, I felt then that Sylvester McCoy was in the kind of realm of not very good mm.
0: see I had that impression as well yeah. I was and given this, that was par- too. this
1: was partly mm. I, I went to a talk about Doctor Who at the National Media Museum in Bradford um,
0: sponsors of this podcast
1: <laughs> hey if they want to reach out I mean then...
0: yeah I'm not...
1: <laughs> um, but...
0: the National Media Museum in Bradford and the police sponsor <laughs> this podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's a band yeah
1: <laughs> um, but <laughs> But, um, what was I saying? Sorry, Um, they had sort of clips of different doctors um, to kind of represent different eras in the show, I suppose. I don't Mm. think they even had them for all of them. But I remember they introduced a clip of Sylvester McCoy and Ace. Kind of, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was in some kind of way that felt as if it was not as good. I think this is where I heard the thing that I sort of recall about people saying that McCoy was a good stage actor but wasn't good on screen. I think that might have been Mm. something they said then and they were saying sort of how he was doing too much with his physicality or something. And then sort of because of this impression that I had, I didn't look too much into him Mm. because I already had enough to try and get through with the doctors that I had seen and knew that I particularly liked, which was um, Tom Baker and Pertwee at that time. So yeah, it's taken me a really long time to see any McCoy and he is really good. So I don't really understand where that,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: unless it was maybe people saw him, his series as being like when the show finished, therefore they couldn't have been good.
0: I think it's partly that because the show kind of lost a lot of people with Colin Baker. Yeah. For understandable reasons, I would say. Mm. And uh, not necessarily Colin Baker's fault, I should say. Because it sounded slightly like I was, it was all on him for a moment there. But yeah, I I think because of that, people have tended to some extent to mm. sort of see mm. them as you know the two sides of the decline of of Doctor Who. Yeah. That yeah. after Dave, after Caves of Androzani, mm. it's like oh, it just slides into like nonsense. I think also what may have happened. Is maybe even when Colin Baker left, people who kind of tied the quality of the era directly to the Doctor might have been like, "Okay, we'll 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 tune in and see, and see
2: what happens." And then they watch Time and the Rani, yeah, yeah. and then we're like, "No," because because it's a lot of his first season. I think that physicality is there, and that the comedic qualities. Yeah, are more present. There's
0: a continuation there. And actually I I quite like that in I quite I quite like McCoy's first season, mm. but I can see why it might have turned people off, especially people who were already kind of turned off by the previous couple mm. of seasons. Mm. Mm. Here's a a big question then. So, when you were getting mm, when you were getting into Doctor Who, whether it be through kind of bits and pieces that you were picking up or through watching the, the first series of the new series or anything like that,
2: what was it that appealed to you? I think a lot of the things that appealed to me are not the things that appeal to me now. Okay. Um, so I was <laughs> well, just like, happens. I saw a Sontaran and I was like, that looks really good. <laughs> I want to watch this. Like, 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 A lot of it was like, a lot of it was like, a lot of it was like, it was like monsters explosions action, mm. <laughs> which is the total opposite of why I'm interested in it now. But also, like, the other side of it was, like, the innovation and the imagination of it and, like, mm. the, the kind of the kind of the mystery, which is yes. the stuff that I'm more interested in. You know, the idea that... And again, this is because I saw something that was more of an overview to begin with. But the idea that the actor could change his face yeah. was a really interesting one. The, this machine that's bigger on the inside than the outside, all of that, that stuff. And I guess like the the longevity of the program and this idea that there was like you say this kind of archaeology to do mm. in terms of filling in the gaps. Yeah, all of that was kind of appealed to me.
1: I'm really hard pushed to actually. I, I'm not hundred percent sure what it was because I was grabbed so like instantly by it that I'm not. It's it's kind of tough to pin down what it was precisely mm. that sparked my interest. I would guess that similarly to what Jacob was saying, it's kind of that the show has a lot of concepts and, and ideas that you just can't find anywhere else, such as the TARDIS. And I think that it was the first show that I'd seen that sort of involved time travel in any kind of substantial way.
3: Mm.
1: And I think that it does have something kind of unique in that respect where every episode you can go from the past to really far in the future, or the present you've got a lot of range there of interesting things but yeah i think it's kind of a tough one to pinpoint because it's so much a part of the things that i like now Mm. that it's difficult for me to think back on what it was that initially started that obsession
2: I mention, it also travels in time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a hard question to answer, not least because it's it's difficult to not only to kind of work back through your own the whole of your relationship with the show, mm. but also to just to analyse your tastes from when you were like 12 or 10 or 14.
1: I mean, I, f- I find it somewhat difficult now, I think, to describe yeah. what exactly it is that makes one thing an obsession where something else is just something that I like or am kind of neutral to mm. because you sort of, I think you sort of rationalize it to yourself as like, oh, well, I like it because it's good. Mm. But then. See, there, I
0: mean, there can, there's an element of that because like Doctor Who is something that clearly works on some level for a lot of people. Mm. But yeah, there's, I think there is always going to be an element of chance to it, if we're honest as well, because mm. I don't I I don't know is my answer to this question, basically. <laughs> Because there was clearly something that appealed to me in that kind of that his, that longevity and the history of innovation, but also there is something of the unknown about Doctor Who. I think, mm. and I think that's one of the things that seems to have appealed to people in the sixties and in the seventies, presumably in the eighties as well, uh, and that's, I, I think still now, it's it's that notion of tuning in, seeing these weird pepper pots moving across the floor speaking in these deranged voices and being like what is that thing (laughs) and it sounds incredulous but there's there's something primal about it as well something i can remember quite vividly from that book about special effects that i mentioned earlier is it postulated and i actually think this is a pretty strong theory that one of the reasons the daleks are so effective is they don't look human they don't look like a man in a suit they kind of are a man in a yeah, suit, yeah. but they you you look at them and you just don't know what they are.
1: No, it's it's a squid, Kieran. I've I've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I try not to dwell on
0: the squid bit, to be honest. But fair enough.
1: I think I was. I think I have slightly in my illness before brain hit on something, which I think that maybe part of the appeal is was and still is for me the idea that this there's this sort of hidden other world that's going on that you can suddenly be swept up into Mm. in a sort of way that a lot of I guess adventure or fantasy works like that
0: yeah but
1: particularly I think you see it in Rose being the first story that I watched where she's living this sort of ordinary life but then all of a sudden this kind of world of infinite possibility is opened up to her and so I think that something about it is perhaps this idea of maybe one day something incredible and just by chance happens and you end up in this world that seems almost magical so far, is it from the everyday? I think that that's part of it. And obviously that relies on then the things that it's showing you in contrast being so fantastical and mm. wonderful. And I think that the show does that very well. But I think maybe there's something in that not quite escapism, but a feeling that escape is a possibility mm in real life was Mm. maybe something that drew it drew me to it and i think i continue to enjoy about the show but i think that particularly when you're not so sure of what your place in the world is as like a child in that transitional place between primary school and secondary school i think that i was maybe searching for something that would show that there was something to look forward to that was beyond like having to cope with everyday struggles even Hmm. if that thing to look forward to was maybe some dude in a blue box showing up and then traveling the universe or something like that maybe
0: yeah no i think that you've absolutely hit on something there and like you say it's something that you is kind of in so much kind of adventure fiction especially kind of children's fiction which is let's not forget a lot of where doctor who's roots Mm -hmm. come from not Mm -hmm. entirely there's roots all over the place but like in that sense it reminds me a lot and this is a thought I've that's only really just occurred to me but it reminds me a lot of the other show that really grabbed me uh, in my kind of mid, mid in this case mid to late teens and there was also a huge huge influence on Russell C Davies and on the new series which is Buffy the Vampire Slayer which likewise has that kind of intermingling of the mundane and the fantastical and is really to a great extent about that about the way in which you kind of, you find the fantastical within the mundane and one acting as kind of a reflection of the other. I do, and I don't think that's always what Doctor Who is doing. I think for, for instance, I think it's a lot stronger in the new series than for most of the classic series. Although, you know, we talked about the first episode. Like the first episode is about basically two teachers stumbling into another world in a yeah, box. Yeah, yeah. And so it's hard to get away from that. But also, I mean, for a lot of the Tom Baker years, like it, it loses focus on that especially in the kind of Graham Williams era, it becomes about a show that's kind of in space mm. uh, to a great extent. It only really comes back to that with Ace, I, th- I would say. Yeah. There's de- there's definitely something to that. And I think particularly for our generation of Doctor Who fans, I think that's something we really respond to. And I think, I, I mean, I talked about this a little bit when we were talking about Series 1, but I think that is one of Davies' central, not quite innovations, but his central insights into the show is that it actually reminds me a little bit of something Andrew Cartmell uh, said when he uh, interviewed on a on another Doctor Who podcast. He said something, I don't know if I entirely agree with him, but he said he didn't like seeing the TARDIS in flight. Because to him, what the TARDIS is, is it's a portal.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it's something that connects you to another place and is itself another place. And I think there's something in that that really gets to the heart of what the show is because the, the TARDIS has always been on some level, a metaphor for television mm. Um, you know, things being different sizes. And in fact, the doctor even uses the metaphor of television to explain it yeah. to Ian, Ian and Barbara. Mm. So there's, I think there's something in that as well. There's something, and this is, this is a big thread on uh, TARDIS TARDIS auditorium, but there's something about the show representing the nature of television. Um, which comes up again and again in the series. It's, uh, I mean, I mentioned it in Ambassadors of Death, where we have the, the news broadcast. Uh, it comes up in an episode like Vengeance of Varus, which again kind of uses the medium in that way. It comes up a lot in the new series. So there's there's something going on there as well, where it kind of it taps into what we want from that kind of fiction, that kind of sci-fi adventure fiction. Well, any adventure fiction really.
1: I think what sets it apart perhaps from other sort of from other adventure shows is that the characters in Doctor Who aren't necessarily brought into a life of adventure because it was predestined or because they are some kind of chosen one. I mean occasionally there's elements of that kind of storyline with certain companions or certain doctors, but it's not like if you're reading Harry Potter and you well, Harry's particularly special, which is why he gets those oh, special mm-hmm. adventures. Um, But also, if you aren't a wizard, then you're kind of out of luck. But Doctor Who adventures frequently involve kind of normal people, whether from Earth or not, and it doesn't seem to... It's not because you have a special destiny, necessarily. There's kind of a lower bar to to entry. So if you Mm. want to imagine yourself having exciting adventures, Doctor Who is kind of one of the easiest settings to just insert yourself into that context Mm. Mm. yeah
0: absolutely i think we can come back to a lot of this when we talk about companions in a future episode actually because i think that's Mm. very germane to this discussion Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. the idea of the companion the companion as audience identification but also who is the companion representing what kind of what kind of person is the companion Mm. and how our own preferences of companions kind of stack up to our sort of vision of the show Here's an interesting one, because it's, it's something that we... Actually, we've touched on a little bit talking about the books, but I think is a, an interesting kind of wider issue. What's your relationship been like um, with the sort of paratext of the show? So to, to break that down, the stuff around the show uh, that is related to it. So the kind of the merch, whether that be, be books, action figures, big finish, or even kind of online fandom, which I think is... Again, a big thing for kind of our generation of fans. It's a big question, but uh,
1: Jake was making excited <laughs> faces um, throughout that, so I I feel like I, it would be remiss of me to try and uh, <laughs> precede him <laughs> in explaining paratext.
2: Uh, yeah, I had an extensive relationship with the paratext, so I mean, I had. Books that were coming out, like like the, a lot of the guidebooks I was getting, like very early on. So like the monsters and villains one, um, I think was the first one. But the uh, the other one that I got very early on was I can't remember the name of it now. But it's by Justin Richards, and it's this absolutely enormous, enormous book. It's absolutely huge. It's like basically like in-depth stuff on every single episode up to the end of Eccleston's first series and it's like the book is like this size
0: for our <laughs> listeners, Jacob is holding up his hands approximately a foot apart
2: <laughs> but yeah it was it it's like massive it's, big, it's bit much bigger than like a normal like a5 or a4 size book yeah uh, and like very very thick and that is like still one of the best guides you can get i would say so i got that and then i had a christmas where i received Nothing but Doctor Who DVDs, pretty much, at my own request. Basically, I got practically everything of the classic series that was out at the time. And from there, I started getting them as they came out, like every month. So that's how I got into that. And now, more recently, uh, it's kind of novels that I look at. So I've got a load of past Doctor uh, stuff from the BBC, a load of 8th Doctor books. And they're kind of interesting because it's like it's almost like at this how I felt at the start of the series where it's stuff that I just don't know about, particularly because there's no guidance with them at all. Really, like it's not like because not everyone reads them, you don't always know kind of what's what's actually coming up. And even more recently, now I'm like buying the new adventures mm. in order. Until I get to *So The Sin*, which costs about three thousand pounds on Amazon, so yeah. I won't be able to buy that. But um, yeah, and I've been reading through those chronologically, which is which is which is fun. Hmm. I'm starting with *Big Finish* finally as well, hmm. so yeah, extensive.
0: It's been primarily the kind of textual paratext, if you like, the kind of the the spin-off media, as it were.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've also had like I also had like toys. I had like. Um, I had like the TARDIS console room, which my dad disapproved of, obviously. <laughs> I, mean, I disapprove of it as well. Yeah, but... it was the Coralie one, was it? Yeah, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. One, yeah, yeah. That one.
1: Like you'd play with it, but it wouldn't feel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wouldn't be fulfilling. I <laughs> wanted the original. <laughs> um,
2: and I had like, I had a couple of, I had a couple of uh, like figures. I had like the werewolf, I had Acrylatane, I had David Tennant. Mm. Um, <laughs> I wanted Christopher Eccleston. I don't think I ever got Christopher Eccleston. Oh. But, um,
0: well, I know what I'm
2: getting, Jacob, for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and I, had, I had a radio-controlled Dalek. Oh, oh the gold did radio-controlled Daleks, how, how, yeah. did
1: you? Was it like the... Yeah,
2: yeah, it was like the, the, big, the okay, big boy. Okay, we established yeah, yeah. they're
1: around the same size, which I think is like yeah. 20 inches. Yeah. yeah, I had the black one, uh, Dalek Sec, uh, um, but unfortunately, oh. when I took him to see the fiftieth anniversary special in cinemas, uh, one of his little light up ears fell off. Oh no! <laughs> so he was kind of um, he was he was an old boy by then anyway, but um, <laughs> that was a sad time because it was supposed to be a beautiful learning experience <laughs> for him. Maybe, the, maybe seeing the doctor art was just too much.
0: So there was a lot of doctors in the 50th anniversary yeah, special that I, might have really set him off. Yeah. It's also
2: worth pointing out that I started making my own paratext. Oh, okay. Um, so I I started by making comics. It was very ah. poorly illustrated. And then I ended up writing short stories. And I made board games. <gasps> okay. Yeah, 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 really? Yeah, 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 I made board games. I had a whole thing of like where I was basically doing like a time war thing. Oh! It was it was it was fun. Yeah. And then my friend got a printer, and uh, he was also got a printer, and he started printing figures, and they were far superior, and mine fell out of favour with oh. everyone who's playing with them. You know, because he <laughs> had actual printed pictures of Cybermen that could stand up, oh. and I couldn't compete with that. <laughs> oh, oh your price market. <laughs> We ended up playing one with our head teacher once. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he like he like saw what we were doing and was like, this is really interesting. I don't know, he must have thought it was commendable that we were making board games instead of, I don't know, smoking on a street corner or something. Mm-hmm. Um, why would we have been doing that when we were ten, I don't know. But yeah, and we ended up going to his office one day and playing, <laughs> playing a game with him. So that was good.
1: I feel kind of... Uh... Ashamed of my own meagre contributions to Doctor Who fandom now, I know that there were there was a fully functioning board game going around. Yeah, when,
0: when I asked this question, I was expecting, like, oh, I read Doctor Who magazine, I read the odd book, I, uh, like, contributed to the online discourse, uh, something like that. I wasn't expecting made a board game, I made several board games.
1: I bet they were better than, like, any of the official Doctor Who games that I've found because they all seem to be kind of i have in, come out
2: of my frustration with them yeah i, I feel like they, they
1: fall into that thing of being sort of board games that are made to tie in with something that's popular because they know that people will buy it yeah. Mm. Yeah. but then the actual game is kind of secondary mm. to mm. the to buying the name of the thing that's on it
0: the exact same has been true of every video game made with the doctor who license oh. they are, universally garbage I
1: didn't even know well I, I suppose I was sort of vaguely aware
0: oh,
2: oh. have you played Destiny of the Doctor I have not and I I know the legends of it it is better than the other ones I've, <laughs> I'm going to say good <laughs> yeah
0: I, I've heard it's like it's the one that kind of
2: people seek out yeah. That was
1: a strong. I do have that was it. That a actually. strong open oh, to okay. a weak yeah. recommendation, Jacob. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I d- yeah, I do have it at home. Um, it's it, yeah, yeah. I, I basically ordered a load of games uh, off eBay, and there was Destiny of Doctors, which actually worked. There was another one on Skara, which did not work. And I, I think I don't know. I don't know what was going on. That was it was, it was dodgy. And there was another really old one called Dalek Attack or something. Oh, okay. And it I've was like it that. was like you know like a platform. Yeah. Oh wow. It, and that wasn't bad, but it, it was it worked intermittently. Right. But I think no computer will run them now. Yeah, <laughs> I would imagine.
0: And <laughs> yeah. uh, I've heard of people getting Destiny of the Doctors to run, but like having yeah. to really work at it. Oh I, yeah, when, I had
1: when, to, when yeah. was this made? Yeah. What is
2: it? It was in the nineties, yeah. early nineties. I think it's got clips of Anthony Ainley as mm. the master. Okay. And you're, like, this weird, like, bubble thing that's trying to save the Doctor. And all the Doctors are in it. And there's, like, different challenges to save each one. So, like, you joust a Sontaran on a... He's on, like, a like a hover bike thing or something. And, like, you chase the Master in Bessie and all, all kinds of weird <laughs> stuff. I don't even know.
1: It sounds kind of fun, but I can see why it might not be, like, the most reflective of the show. It's
0: a hard show to make a to make a game off in that to make it despite what, everything we were saying about adventure fiction the problem is that it's so kind of generally non-violent when Eric mm. Saber isn't involved mm. that um, it's hard to reflect that in a video game which are by their nature well not necessarily inherently but they tend to be Based around violence yeah, to I, some extent
1: I can see how it might be possible to do it if it was a kind of um, RPG yeah. like text based adventure kind of thing where you're where the things that you say are more important than combat yeah. perhaps um, I would be interested if that was a thing that anybody made I I
0: wouldn't be surprised if someone has at some point. There is an official Doctor Who RPG, like a tabletop RPG, Mm -hmm. um, which I have all the source books for and we really should look into at some
1: Mm -hmm. point. Mm. Yeah, maybe we can record us playing it. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that. Yeah, so um, in terms of toys, obviously I've described my uh, remote-controlled Dalek already, which was kind of my pride and joy, honestly. (laughs) And in addition to that, around the same time, I got a Cyberman helmet slash mask.
0: Oh, with like a voice changer?
1: Uh, I don't think it had a voice changer. I think it just had a couple of phrases that you could say. Oh,
0: because I, I think I had that.
1: Yeah, um, so I had that one. This was all sort of collected over a large period of time because I can't quite remember when I got each thing. Hmm. I only fully realized when... Um, me and kieran have just moved house and when we were unpacking i only fully realized that i have a small tardis and a slightly larger tardis um mm.
0: one of them's an alarm clock what's the other one
1: it's a money box ah uh, but it doesn't have any money in it because i don't have it yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a shame actually that um the the alarm clock one was just about a week ago it was just randomly going off and mm. making the tardis noise at like when we were trying to sleep. It's a, I kind of hoped it would still be doing that when we came to record this.
1: I don't know why it did that, because I swear I thought the battery on it had gone. But apparently, not. I think I also had some kind of toy of the Jagrafest, but I don't know if I just...
2: Okay. That's the first I've heard of that. That's interesting.
1: I don't know if I just had something else that I thought had the same like texture. Mm. But there's definitely, like, a smell and a texture that I associate <laughs> was, with the Jagrafats. Was fuzz. it,
2: like, rubbery and you could, yeah, like, squeeze it? like oh. a gooey...
1: Like, kind of, like, one mm. of those aliens. But I don't know if that's actually true or not. If I did have it, it would probably be the sort of thing that would come free with, like, a children's Doctor Who magazine. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm not actually sure if that existed or if it's just my my mind <laughs> telling me these things because I secretly always wanted a Jagrafats of my own. <laughs> I... Also started to collect uh, like classic Who stuff. So I also had a VHS that was found in a charity shop, although I think it was just a secondhand shop. There was one in my hometown, but I found a vid- I saw a video in the window of the horror of Fang Rock when I was mm. a young'un. And so I got my mum to go in and buy it for me and I still have that. And mm. I have actually watched it on VHS right. in the past because it was still when we had a video player set up in the house. Mm but obviously I'm probably not going to watch it again, but it's nice to have. Yeah. I also got, like, I think these came from my former head teacher's sons, but I had a selection of classic Who books. I think that Mm. was how they got passed into my household. And I've been trying to locate them for the past few months, but I don't know what has happened. I don't feel like I would have got rid of them, Mm -hmm. but I don't know where they are in my parents' house. But there was some, like, there were some that were... I think they were mostly the novelizations of episodes. Mm. But um, I remember having Terror of the Zygons. I think I had The Ark in Space because I think I remember the cover with the Wirren on it. But I definitely had one that I think was from the Troughton era which involved a plot point of people carrying radium rods around or, or uranium or some kind of radioactive materials. Um, it might have been... I might be mixing multiple stories together, but my recollection is that it was somewhere snowy, like the North or South Pole, and mm. there was Cybermen, maybe.
2: Is at the moon base?
1: It might be a moon oh, base rather okay. than somewhere snowy. It's been over 10 years since I read these, so... But I just, the, the thing about, the thing about carrying radioactive material with inadequate protection has really stuck with me because the more I learn, the more I understand what a horrifying prospect that is.
0: We are two episodes into Chernobyl as we speak. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it,
1: yeah, that's kind of, um, the contrast in my mind is, uh, mm. yeah, quite can also strong.
2: Be, um, the 10th planet actually, because that's snowy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it could be. Or it could be a mixture of the 10th planet and something else. Yeah, because
0: right? yeah, cause I could see how uh, if it was the 10th planet, you would remember Triton from it. Because mm. um, it's technically a Hartnell story, but it's the one with the regeneration.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I just remember it being some Trouton era companions. But, ah, okay. Um, mm. But I'm not sure who. But yeah, so that's just something that has stuck with me. I started to get Doctor Who magazine and I was subscribed to that for quite a while. Although my remember- my recollection of it was, so obviously it wasn't for children, but I also wasn't a child when I was reading it. I was mm. sort of in high school, but it was kind of a weird, a weird publication in some ways because they did reviews of all the episodes and probably still do. But obviously because they really like Doctor Who, they're not going to give anything like a properly bad review necessarily. <laughs> I also remember there being an article about how, about people fancying companions when they were younger. And one of them was someone saying that they, like, fancied Adric, and that's how they discovered their sexuality. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was like...
0: That's a bold statement. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think
1: I really understood at the time how, like, troubling that was. But ever since, like, I just... Especially when he was in episodes with Peter Davison, who is a nice person, not terrible, and also not, like awful person to be attracted to. Mm. I had some posters as well. I think they were from Doctor Who magazine. Mm. And I really fancied David Tennant for a while. So I think I might have uh, done the tragic teenage girl thing of kissing the poster <laughs> on occasion. <laughs> like, I felt bad about it. Um, I also tried to start a Doctor Who religion. Um oh, okay. It was only like, it lasted about an afternoon when like my mm. friend Magda came around. Um, this is when we were probably still around 11 or 12 and we just decided we were going to make i probably i decided we were going to make a doctor who religion <laughs> but it was basically just the catholic mass but like where all the readings would be it was like from my various doctor who books <laughs> and there was like candles and stuff mm. so it was very ah, atmospheric yeah. and i wanted the followers of our religion to be called whoites and then when i found out later that apparently the fandom name is, name is whovian for someone who likes doctor who i was extremely annoyed and disappointed because i thought that mine was a bit better uh, i still don't particularly like the word Whovian. whovian? No,
3: I don't.
1: Mm. Oh, and I was in the Super Hulock.
0: Ah, the famous... year super...
1: for like a <laughs> hot minute. <laughs> I wasn't ever like in the kind of thing where you actually wanted the shows to cross over or speculated about that in any way. Because I, even in those times, I sort of felt like they wouldn't gel. <laughs> but I did like all of the shows simultaneously and had a blog on Tumblr where I had a picture of the TARDIS and a picture of... The door to two two one B Baker Street and some supernatural thing.
0: Some door from supernatural. I don't know.
1: They don't have any significant doors. It's got a car. Cars have doors. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, they've got a car. The. Uh, this is
0: my the extent of my yeah, knowledge of supernatural, right there. It's,
1: so supernatural was always a weird fit with those yeah. shows because supernatural is on a network in a. Some network in America, hmm. it's about two brothers in a, in a car and they're like really standard, like very brawny American punk boys. Yeah. <laughs> and they fight demons and it was good for a few seasons and then it was terrible. <laughs> I
0: mean, to go back to a comparison I uh, kind of made before, uh, people used to tell me it was like the new Buffy and all I can gather is that it's... Buffy for people who think the point of Buffy is killing demons.
1: It's Buffy for people who think the point of Buffy is uh, not having any meaningful female characters. Yeah, which, which is, is clearly the opposite the point of, Buffy. of the point of Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about it, but yeah, like that was a that was a thing, um, and there were people bringing Merlin into it, bringing oh, Hannibal yeah. into yeah, it.
0: Really... <laughs> Hannibal. Yep,
1: yep. Anything you were Never into. Heard that one. Oh, it was like there was all sorts going on. It was quite exciting, really, and I mean. <laughs> <laughs> they were heady days <laughs> but yeah that was when I when there was the thing about the BBC fandom um, people had just said they were in mm. the BBC fandom when they liked Sherlock and Doctor Who and possibly Merlin ignoring the fact that If you're in the real BBC fandom, you better be writing 10,000 word question time fanfics. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) You better be shipping Jeremy Paxman with like, I was going to say every person on University Challenge and then I rethought that in the moment.
1: I am a person on University Challenge for one episode.
0: That's why I rethought that.
1: And obviously the show on the BBC with the most sexual chemistry ever, Fake or Fortune. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If that didn't make into your, like, top one, then...
0: Can you call yourself a true member of the BBC fandom? Yeah. <laughs>
1: if you don't ship Phil Ono, then...
0: That's such a niche joke. <laughs> <laughs> I just... um Yeah, I mean, the BBC fandom is something that has always been hilarious to me for exactly that reason. Because, like... <laughs> Just the, the notion of being a fan of the BBC, oh, as if everything that was shown on the BBC is part of one sort of grand, overlapping, fa- like the MCU or something.
1: Oh, and people used to say things like about how they liked cute British guys and post like Benedict Cumberbatch and like, I don't know, probably Matt Smith because it wasn't Smith, yeah. really the David Tennant era at this point.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, And it was just really funny because if you were reading it in... Any part of Britain, then you're like, the calibre is really not what you're expecting. <laughs> also, some of these people, in the kindest way, look like aliens. <laughs> and that's what's admirable about them in a lot of ways. <laughs> Their inspiring ability to become sex symbols whilst looking like aliens. That's my dream. <laughs> I'm so ill.
0: <laughs> Do you want to talk about your Doctor Who script?
1: Uh, <laughs> I wrote a Doctor Who script and um, I read it earlier today and it's set in Dublin for some reason I'm not really sure why I decided to say it there I wrote it when I was 12 because it actually says by Beth and Roberts age 12 in the like front part of it that's how you know and yeah it was I'm not sure I can't really remember why I wrote it. I think part of me probably seriously thought that they would want to televise it Um, and then I would be a writer for Doctor Who but I mean it's all right for a 12 year old but it is not very good objectively (laughs) (laughs) but yes I so I suppose that's that's the only sort of I guess fan fiction type thing that I've written for Doctor Who just because I think that I wanted to I wanted to write like what is in the show in a way that I think that for normal fan fiction is not always necessarily the drive to write something Mm. because I didn't necessarily want to like add anything on to the show that I'd already seen at that time I just wanted to imagine more of the same thing so Mm -hmm. it is pretty much an attempt to churn out a fairly standard Doctor Who episode in the kind of mid-tenant run I don't really know because I I did write fan fiction kind of stuff various other things I was into at the time but just not Doctor Who really. I guess I felt satisfied by what I was being given, apart from the fact that I wanted to write my own episode so that I could write and possibly star in it, because there is a character in it who's like a an intelligent girl who helps the doctor in a very like classic, not quite Mary Sue way, but mm. and she works with Unit and she's an <laughs> alien as well. Ah. Um and I feel like I'm not making this sound very yeah, uh, unmerry series. But it wasn't quite as bad as some examples, but it was not the most sophisticated attempt at writing, given that I was twelve.
0: <laughs> mm, yes. Weirdly enough, I think writing for Doctor Who isn't writing for Doctor <laughs> writing as if for Doctor Who is not something I did a huge amount of. I I began a few things. Like I, I remember beginning what was meant to be like a, a script for a sort of uh probably series five ish episode in which the doctor and amy and i think rory went to meet beethoven because that's what you do in doctor who which is funny because i don't i now actually really generally don't like celebrity historicals but that's because i've matured as a person and come full circle and i think that was pretty much oh i have more recently written um like the beginning of a fourth doctor on romana um script but like that was just as an exercise because i was watching a lot of like Season 17 at the time, and was inspired.
1: And Romano is the best, All Hill Queen Lala.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, and also Queen Mary.
1: And Queen Mary Tam.
0: Yeah. See, I I never had much in the way of, like, Doctor Who kind of toy type merch, because mm. I was 14 when the... Uh, Coward!
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the main thing I can... There are a couple of things I can remember. I can remember the Cyberman hit. And I can also remember... Uh, this is a story I never get tired of telling but it is very entertaining in <laughs> easter of 2008 or 9 i think i was in the car with my dad my dad who is like a secondary player in this podcast at this point and um, i'll probably be coming back to him later and there are a lot of speed bumps around where i live in uh, or where my parents house is in dublin and we were going over a couple of these speed bumps and I just heard the weirdest thing, like this kind of muffled voice from the boot, like, (laughs) it was really freaky. And like, I looked over at my dad and he looked over at me clearly just as alarmed. And we went over another speed bump and went, and again, looks of alarm. Went over a third one. And... We looked at each other in alarm. And then suddenly he burst out laughing, which did not help matters at all. <laughs> like, it happened again while he was laughing, I think. Um, and he 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 said, I, I know what it is. It's okay. I'll explain when we or show you when we get home. And when we got home, which was like two minutes later, he opened up the boot and inside was a Dalek Easter egg that said exterminate when you like pressed a button and so every time we went over a speed bump there was a Dalek sounding off in the boot or is it
1: egg exterminate
0: probably that I also I think the next year got a TARDIS one um, which is quite cool but yeah I never participated a huge amount in like online Doctor Who fandom I was aware of it because I was a person on Tumblr who liked Doctor Who in like the early 2010s but it wasn't something i participated in a huge amount and um, partly because i think because um my relationship with the show had changed a little bit by that point and uh, we'll get into a bit later on but also that was that was never really my my scene you know discussing doctor who was not a thing i particularly did until now well it was to some extent but like not in that kind of organized fandom way i don't think I bought my first issue of Doctor Who magazine about six months ago, for instance. And have have kind of been making up for a lost time in that I've been I've been reading stuff, I've been I got into a big finish probably about a year ago, thanks to a, a kind friend of mine and Jacobs who like let us borrow a lot of stuff. But that kind of happened to coincide with with something that I've been I wanted to slot in here at some point, because uh, it's an important part of my Doctor Who story even though it's quite recent, uh, which is Doctor Who on Twitch, which I felt I needed to kind of pay tribute to at some point because it was really, really important for me. Even like 18 months ago, I uh, I was a big Doctor Who fan. I enjoyed a lot of Doctor Who, but my knowledge of the classic series was still quite patchy. I'd seen chunks of Pertwee and Tom Baker, And little, little bit of Hartnell. Little, tiny bit of Troughton. And, like, two Davison stories. I think it was The Five Doctors and Case of Androzani was all I'd seen of Davison, really. And then I discovered that on Twitch they were showing all of classic Doctor Who in order. And I thought, this sounds cool. I will tune into this. Managed to miss most of Hartnell and Troughton. Which I managed to do every single... Because they repeated it all again a few months later and I managed to miss Horton on Threaten again. I literally tuned in in like the last three episodes of the War Games um, to see in time to see Treton regenerate. But I managed to see nearly all, pretty much all of the Tom Baker that I'd missed, a lot of the Pertwee, and finally watched just about all of Peter Davison, actually.
1: Oh, this is how me and Kieron got together as well. Yes. <laughs> Our... Um, <laughs>
0: What we now consider, like, our first date, the beginning of our relationship, was actually watching Castrovalva, to Doomsday, and Kinda. Don't
3: be silly! You can't mend people, can you?
0: One of the reasons, I think, that I haven't really gotten into the classic series in depth before that point was just a problem of access. Because hmm. I'd managed to, like, find the odd episode online, I'd managed to find the odd one on on, on It's Stupid Hours on UK Gold or whatever and even picked up one or two DVDs. There was a magazine that came out for a while that used to have, like, a Doctor Who DVD of the classic series with each issue, and somehow I managed to keep missing it. But I got the first one, which is why my copy of The Five Doctors is in a really weird box that looks nothing like anything around it. Like, you'll only recognise it by, like, the fact that it's in the Davison section Mm -hmm. of my shelf. I think part of the problem was, and this... I don't know if this was a uh, just a thing in Ireland because of import or whatever, or if it was more universal. But I remember the the DVDs of the classic series being really expensive. Oh yeah, because mm-hmm. I would, I would go into HMV and like have a look at one because I th- I thought it seemed interesting, and it would be like twenty quid. Yeah, and yeah. like, ooh, I could get like mm. half a series of the new series for that. Yeah, so that put me off for a long time.
1: That might explain why I never got any as, like, birthday or Christmas presents.
2: Well, because I, I, like I was saying, when I got the ones for Christmas, I started getting them monthly as they came out, and they were, like, when they first came out, they were about 20 quid, Mm -hmm. and then the ones that have been out a while were about 15, Mm. (laughs) which is just ridiculous, you know. I mean, to be fair, like, there's a lot on them, Yeah, but at the same time... It it is a really good DVD range, yeah, yeah, but like
0: they have massively gone down in price actually because yeah. Yeah. You, you routinely get them for like 6 ninety nine. 7 mm.
1: no. this, this would have been why I was getting them from the library and limited to the weird selection that they had because <laughs> I saw the one with like tr- it's the one with Troughton and Peter Davison and it's really rubbish the two
0: doctors no yeah. no that's, that's um, Troughton and Colin Baker
1: Troughton and Colin Baker
0: yeah that's a yeah, yeah. weird episode
1: yeah Very so much. I've seen that and
2: Oof. I that was one of the first ones I saw it
0: oh god yeah. Why did you <laughs> keep
1: watching?
2: Well because maybe they were selling this
1: one for like significantly less well, than yours. So
2: what, what happened was I think my dad went to HMV and he was like, I'm gonna look for some old Doctor Who mm. is there anything in particular you want? And I was like Anything, I mean, again, this, this shows you how my opinions on the programme have changed. I, I, I said not like anything with Cybermen, Daleks or Sontarans in oh. <laughs> Which is not a good way to go about it. The and Holy of course, Trinity. Yeah, <laughs> the only one he found was the two Doctors. Yeah. So I got the Zoo Doctors. Yeah. Um, I think the other early one that I got, again, unfortunately, was the Towns of I Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So that wasn't great. Um, but yeah. Mm. Anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> there, I mean, there will be
0: lengthy discussions of both of those stories and why I have massive, massive problems with both in different ways mm. with mm. both of them. I don't like the two doctors, but I also don't have the problems I have with Talons of Wang Chiang. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway.
1: It's like perfect examples of the two flavors of bad
2: basically
0: kind of yeah. I, yeah I think I actually weirdly think Two Doctors has slightly more going for oh, he, he wasn't were...
2: to know that like you know yeah. uh, I, 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 at yeah, the time uh, I really like I was quite happy that I just had my hands on something yeah Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: funnily enough two episodes by like probably the best regarded of classic series writers as yeah. well funnily enough Yeah. Uh, yeah good old Bob Holmes who we will be talking about again in our next episode actually Becoming a fan of the new series meant that you had so much kind of excavation to do, mm. uh, finding out about the series. Suddenly having it all at your fingertips with Doctor Who on Twitch was amazing, mm. and I, I also have to give credit to to Twitch, but also to the um, the little introductions to each Doctor that they did. Matt Toffolo and various guests. I thought I thought they were good introductions as a rule, and they kind of they did they did a good job of both providing interesting context, mm. but also stepping back and letting you experience the stories for yourself, mm. which was really interesting because it was after Doctor Who on Twitch that I properly began reading sort of critical sources on Doctor Who and discovering, like, oh, I'm quite out of step with fan opinion in some ways here and stuff like that. And But also kind of, I suppose that caused me to reframe my approach to the series as well and to really start coming at it I mean I already did this with the new series because it's habitual at this point but especially the classic series it reframed my knowledge of it and also my approach to it and made me approach it in a kind of a critical manner and when I say critical I mean it in the sense of like say literary criticism Mm. not necessarily that I was kind of taking it to pieces or whatever Although in a way, I suppose I was, but in a in a forensic way rather than a, um, a derogatory way, should we
2: say? Well, if it's this much trouble, you're going to stay here now.
1: <sighs> I don't know. I can't do that to her again, though.
2: Well, she's not coming with us. No <laughs> <laughs> job. I don't do families.
0: Here's something that we've kind of touched on a fair bit, but I think it's worth uh, nailing down a little bit. What are your your family's attitudes? To the show, are they are they fans? To what extent are they fans? Did any of our fathers possibly watch on an Unearthly Child when it aired?
2: Who yes. knows? <laughs> <laughs> my, my dad de- like definitely did. Like uh, even before I really knew about Doc Two, he'd mentioned on a number of occasions William Hartnell and his hat. Because that seemed to have stuck in his head <laughs> hmm. was William Hartnell and the hat he wore in the in the first episode yeah. and like coming into the TARDIS for the first time.
1: Was that like the little like smoking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And I think he's like a big fan of Hartnell, like for oh. that reason, like because he's kind of like oh, he. It, I think he thinks he was kind of like mysterious and yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know?
0: people tend to have um, a relationship like that with their first Doctor, yeah. don't they?
2: Yeah, yeah, and then he. Um, it's complicated because my dad moved to Australia. Uh, so like like uh, I think he kind of like sporadically watched bits of Troughton and Pertwee and I think he watched some of Baker it kind of fizzled out at that point and then mm. he didn't really watch anything after that and I think when I first started watching it his kind of view seemed to be that like after Baker it kind of goes downhill I think he had quite a critical impression of McCoy mm. and having now seen afterwards and seen McCoy yeah, he really likes McCoy My mum was kind of, I don't, I don't know actually. I don't know if she, um, I don't know if she used to watch it. But I know her brother was quite into sci-fi, so I think they went to see Star Wars together when that came out. And I think he used to watch Dot Two, so I think she probably saw it through her brother. Hmm. But she didn't watch it religiously or anything like that. And then, when it came back, we all watched it together, and they still watch it now.
1: I can exclusively confirm that my dad did watch *Unearthly <laughs> <laughs> Child* and broadcast. I don't. His his impression of it doesn't seem to be like a revelatory because I don't. I don't think. I think he. I think when I asked him about it, he was like, "Oh yeah, I thought it was all right." And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you saw it if you just remember it as all right, but it was. It's more my mum and her siblings that watched it growing up that um, I've heard about. Actually, um, I think she watched some of *Pertwee*, some of. Tom Baker, and then some of Peter Davison as well. I've heard more about them watching Peter Davison, because I think that's probably when um, her youngest sister, my aunt, was watching it, and so they were all sort of watching it together at that point, um, but I think definitely those three she saw bits and pieces of. And also my uh, my mum's younger sister married my uncle, who didn't watch Doctor Who after Tom Baker, but, They went to Paris and he made her do like the city of death tour of Paris where they went around all of the filming locations and it sounds amazing but um, I think (laughs) she was a bit... I don't know. I, 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 th- I, think, I think it's been told as like a, a funny story because of um, her being dragged around all of these scenes. They also have a cardboard cutout of Tom Baker in their spare bedroom. So apparently one of their friends just brought around, came around with like a large flat like packet under his arm and it was just this cardboard cutout. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of the big links to Doctor Two that I have with my family and then obviously my sisters, my brother... Mum Dad and me have watched um the new series together when i've when when we're when we were all living at home. It's a bit different now, obviously, but that was like a sort of family thing that we all did together, mm-hmm. so I'd say we're all quite all of my immediate family are are fans of the show and and watch it, but I think I'm kind of the most extreme in that regard. Mm. <laughs>
0: This is why I wanted to kind of nail my parents down uh, last time I was talking to them about their relationship to the show, because I know both of them watched it growing up to some extent, but I don't know exactly how far back the, their relationship with it goes, because they are both conceivably old enough to have watched An unearthly child when it aired. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'd have had access to it. I don't even know if they'd have had TVs, to be honest. Also, I should state at this point that my mum is almost certainly listening to this. So, hi, mum. So, she will correct me about things, I'm sure.
1: Send in your answers on a postcard. <laughs> <laughs> she will. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and or WhatsApp. Yeah, I know they had some relationship to the to the show. My mum has very fond memories of John Pertwee, but also possibly slightly confused memories. Because I was talking to her about this a little while ago, and she said she... She thought the show wasn't the same after he left. She wasn't a big fan of your man, Davison, which seems to, like, erase Tom Baker entirely, which is an unusual stance, so to speak. But I I, I think she's just kind of completing things somehow. Hmm. Dad, I actually don't know because uh, I know he watched. I know he had some familiarity with it. But I assume it was just kind of a casual thing. Mm-hmm. I suspect if he did watch it, it probably would have been Pertwee and Baker. Uh, like, he's... he's uh, Sorry, Dad. Old enough to have seen, like, Hartnell and Triton definitely.
1: He never is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but, like, I assume, and I'm assuming no further than Baker, purely on the basis that, like, by the time Davidson comes along in 81... They had small children and therefore wouldn't have been watching Doctor Who. To my knowledge, I don't think he's really seen, like, anything from the beginning of Davison on, but I don't actually know. What I do know is that he, as I said earlier, watched the first series, the new series with me and, like, has continued to watch the new series. Watched it with me up until between series eight and nine when I absconded to the UK, because that's how I date things. By Doctor Who series. And then I understand has continued to watch it since. I know he didn't think much of series 11. So, yeah. (laughs) We might have him on as a special guest when we do series 11. Who knows? As for the rest of my family, my sister watched the new series as well. Because I mentioned last time about her being scared of the the gas mask people. uh, Understandably enough. And I think she watched... Not religiously, but, like, faithfully enough for a while through the tenant years. I think she drifted off sometime during Matt Smith's tenure, and I don't know if she came... I don't think she came back, unless she has, and I just don't know, which is possible. My brother only really knows the show through me, I think. Uh, although I do remember watching the revelation... The revelation? uh, Yeah, the revelation <laughs> of Capaldi as the Twelfth Doctor mm-hmm. at his house with, like... Him and my sister in law and my parents. I also vividly remember watching The Time. Yeah, The Time of the Doctor. With my, at the time, two month old goddaughter in the room. I remember this partly because I rewatched it recently, for actually the first time I'd rewatched it, and realised how much of it I had actually missed mm. because there was a baby in the room.
1: What did she think of the episode,
0: though? She seemed to be complaining at some points. Ah, so. uh, me too. <laughs> yeah. I, I think she... I think she's, she's a connoisseur. <laughs> yeah, I think once Capaldi came along, though, she was quite happy. Mm. So, yeah, that's a rundown of my family down to its third youngest member. No uh, indication of how my my other two nieces are taking to the show. You mustn't tell anyone your name.
2: No one would understand it anyway except <laughs>
0: Um, on a kind of vaguely related note, then, have you made kind of particular Doctor Who friends
2: over the years? I've got a very important note on this. And oh! I've just written the word evidently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I know, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, well, obviously, yeah, there's us. Yes. And all of this. I think one of my, or probably my best friend at my. Second primary school, I kind of became friends with him through the program. I don't know, like, I've not really met people apart from that, I've not really met people through the program, I've just mm. met people who happen to be fans, yeah, through life, mm. and then kind of the fandom has strengthened the friendship.
1: I think one of the things that's been slightly difficult meeting people with. Doctor Who is a primary point of reference has been that sometimes I came up against the thing of people trying to prove that they're more of a fan
3: mm, than mm, you
1: are mm. which actually the time when that I most think of this happening I did actually then become friends with the people that it was kind of going on with. But I think that there is sometimes the kind of <laughs> you must answer my riddles three mm. kind of thing before you're allowed into the circle. Um and I think that there was there was a moment of frustration when I didn't that I seemed to be seen as not knowing that much about Doctor Who because I didn't know quite everything about the well that much about the classic series at the mm. time. I think that it was probably just a a weird miscommunication type thing, but that has happened occasionally where people seem to want to prove that they know more about the show mm. than you do and it's a bit probably quite a common experience for particularly women in kind of fandom circles but I think that that has been a little bit of an obstacle I, it's more more, more common is um, making friends with people and then discovering a shared interest in Doctor yeah. Who I think which is kind of eventually what some of those have turned into when you connect over other things and then it kind of people get over themselves a little bit. Sometimes people have an initial reaction of wanting to show they know more about the thing that they like Mm. and that can be make things a little bit difficult to actually make friendships over that like Mm. paradoxically because people are so passionate about it
0: yeah it can kind of depend on the people because like Mm. uh, and the circumstances like and don't want to put it all on the people because sometimes people are really excited to share that passion but other times that passion can kind of spur them on to get kind of almost offensive in some ways Mm. it's like Mm. the thing that they see as theirs yeah i mean again it's it has tended to be more that i became friends with people and then they happened to be or to become doctor who fans as well i mean for instance i to all intents and purposes got a girlfriend slash partner out of it
1: Oh, for a second I was confused and thought that it was somebody else. No.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's me. That's you, yeah. Um, but, like... This is um, just
1: Kieran's signature move. <laughs> <laughs> um, Talk to them about Doctor Who. Done.
0: <laughs> I do remember that I spent, at the kind of height of... Well, not the height of my fandom. This is this is probably the height of my fandom. But um, around the kind of tenant years, uh, when I was in the, the first bloom of my fandom, um, <laughs> I spent, I spent ages trying to get some of my friends into Doctor Who. Like, you know, I'd have people over to my house anyway and be like, hey, I'll put some Doctor Who on. And they would be like, yeah, okay. And not really react. <laughs> but like no I fair play to them for giving it a chance you know, mm. I can only remember one instance in which like I kind of made a friend through Doctor Who and that was when I was about 16 or 17 someone I knew through some mutual friends had apparently I think we had both been told like oh you really like Doctor Who you'll get on and we did and like became quite good friends for a while she kind of shaped my early f- some of my fandom in that like Pertwee was her favourite doctor. So I was like, ah, I will see get some Pertwee then. Uh, and did. And I think that that's part of the reason why I like Pertwee so much, actually. Mm-hmm. Because of that relatively early engagement. And unfortunately, we we slightly felt out of touch. But uh, there is actually, it's not impossible that she's listening to this. And I was considering sending her a link. So if you are listening, hope you're enjoying.
3: What's happened?
0: Change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon how has your relationship with the show changed over the years i mean we've kind of we've talked around this a bit it's
1: it's it's a, it's a bit difficult to pinpoint but i think that at some point i stopped being quite as quite having the obsession that i've described having for the sort of first few years of the new series i think that was probably around Sometime around the Matt Smith era, which I imagine is quite a common dropping off point for people. I think I know quite a few people who stopped watching after the first season or so.
0: Anecdotally, from people I know and from people I've like heard in online circles, that is fairly common around series six or seven, tends
2: to.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: And mm. I I think that, I don't know if it was before then, I'd, I'd stopped being so obsessed but I think certainly around that time I I, I stopped having the thing of looking forward to the episode every week um, Mm. for for a while because that used to be a really big thing and then all of a sudden it was, well after a while it was kind of like oh I'm not sure if it's going to be good so I'm not sure if I'm Mm. excited for this. Mm. But I never actually stopped watching because I still was so invested that I wanted to know what was happening even if I had some critiques. Um, and I think I'm really I am glad that I stuck with it because I think that during the Capaldi era there was a it it picked up and I was starting to I was I was getting back into it and I have criticisms about the most recent series however I'm still optimistic I try to be optimistic anyway um about where the show is going to go the good thing is that now that the classic series is more readily available, because I think that was another reason why I stopped watching quite so much is because access to the classic series was kind of difficult. Mm. Um, once i borrowed some DVDs from my uncle or got the ones that were easy to get from the library, I, it was kind of, it, it used to be a lot more difficult to watch it. But now, since I got back into watching it with Doctor Who on Twitch, I've found that even just from borrowing DVDs from Jacob, <laughs> it's been easier to get hold of epi- more episodes to watch, and so it's kind of good in that way that I'm never really gonna run out, apart from the fact that there's new stuff coming out as well. You can always rely on classic series to show you something new yeah. or for some absolute classics to rewatch. So I feel like, in that sense, I'm a lot more positive about the show than I was a few years ago, partly because I think that it's doing alright in the new series, but also because increased access to the classic series means that there's just more available and a lot more to discover, as I've mentioned already, with the kind of revelation that the McCoyer is pretty darn good. (laughs) It's been an arc. (laughs) Like, I went through some times when I wasn't enjoying the show as much as I had slash occasionally at all even though I was still watching it but I think that that just shows like Doctor Who as a show is really important to me and I kind of always want to know what's going on and I'm always kind of feeling like there's going to be new and exciting stuff at some point just because by the nature of the show involving lots of reinvention to the point of recasting the lead actor every couple of years there's always going to be some kind of positive change to look forward to, even if the show's in a bit of a rut. So, yeah, I'm very excited about Doctor Who at the moment, and I think that's only going to continue, really.
2: Well, like I was saying earlier, I've my view of what I've won out of the programme has changed quite drastically. Mm. So I've gone from, I guess in some ways, being quite like the way a fan is stereotypically and tradi- traditionally conceived of as like, I'm interested in the continuity in the monsters and blah blah it went from that when I was you know quite young to now being more interested in kind of stuff within the program that's like got more of a cerebral and a kind of emotional intelligence hmm. and I'm much more critical of the program as a result of that uh, <laughs> hmm. I'm, I'm much I'm, I'm much more I guess I want to see it push itself much more than it does quite a lot but yeah and I guess in terms of watching it I've kind of continuously watched the new series I've watched the whole of the classic series Hmm. Um, I have to admit I've struggled through some of the new series again around kind of series 6 series 7 with Matt Smith is kind of where I really started to get kind of irritated I think think at some point in series 6 I seriously considered stopping watching it which Hmm. is saying something from me but I basically continue to watch on the rationale that the programme has historically gone through some very high peaks and some very low troughs. Mm. Um, so, and I'm glad I did, because I really like Capaldi.
1: I guess my, like, estimation of which Doctors are the best has changed considerably over yeah. the course of my yeah. relationship yeah. with yeah. the show as well, actually. Mm. I no longer have a teenage infatuation with David Tennant, so that's one thing. Mm. But also just, I think, re-evaluated certain Doctors that from the classic series that, I or other people perhaps didn't enjoy. Mm. And I've also come to realise that some 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 doctors slash aspects of the new series that I didn't really notice at the time I'm now not so keen on either. Like I think mm. that I, I think that some of the Russell T, elements of the Russell T. Davis era have slightly fallen in my estimation mm. um over time. Although I still do really like that era of the show overall. I think I guess it's just anything's going to be subject to reevaluation over time, really, isn't it? As yeah. you, like, mature and your opinions mature. Yeah. I don't know if I've necessarily come to understand the show from a more, like, theoretical perspective, just because I struggle with understanding literary criticism and stuff. And also partly... You say
0: with your masters in... <laughs> <laughs> true. It was about <laughs> editing,
1: so if you want to know about editing poetry, I'm your gal. <laughs> but it still counts, you know. Yeah, mm. definitely. But I guess also it's just the fact that's probably true for you guys as well is mm. that ultimately I'm just looking for something fun and interesting to watch. Mm. So if the show entertains me, then that that's this is a running thread from when I started watching. I think if I'm having a good time, then I'm having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the real sticking point with those particular Matt Smith seasons, I think. That's Mm. why it became less of a highlight of the week kind of thing. It wasn't necessarily due to any other factors. I think it's fun to analyse when it's fun to watch as well sometimes. Although looking back on absolute train wreck can be be funny (laughs) in retrospect.
0: Depends on the train wreck, really.
1: I (laughs) I kind of both enjoyed and didn't enjoy... Talking about Boomtown.
2: Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed
1: talking about it, but sitting through it was like <laughs> a whole other thing. i to so feel <laughs> yeah.
2: like Monster Peladon when we get to that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> oh. there, there are a few. Um, there are periods of the. Actually, more so sort of the classic series that I'm looking forward to getting to, and purely because I want to eviscerate them. Periods and stories. Mm. Eviscerate in a forensic way, I should say. Yeah. Like, I. And I think there are stories I hate. But I think that I hate in interesting ways. So I, I, the two Doctors is an example, for instance. But anyway, yeah, I mean, my, my story is along broadly similar lines. I mean, I've said already that, like, since Doctor Who on Twitch, um, my relationship with the show is kind of at a high point. And that's for all the reasons we've talked about in, in terms of access and that kind of thing. And just my kind of daily uh, or regular uh, interaction with the show, I think, as well. Uh, I mean I'm I'm glancing over right now at a DVD shelf of probably between a, a dozen and fifteen classic series DVDs all of which I've bought in the last year yeah I mean I think I had a, a similar enough uh, Jacobs currently evaluating my DVD shelf uh, <laughs> I had a similar enough sort of story in that it was around probably more series seven for me I think was my dipping point and I think that happened for a few reasons I think it's it's partly the the quality. But I think it's also just to do with where I was at the time. I was just drifting away a little bit, and like I'd i become kind of disillusioned with aspects of the uh, Matt Smith era. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've gone back and revisited some of Series 7 relatively recently, and some of it's better than I thought at the time. Some of it's actually worse, but um, we'll come to that at some point. I think there was um, i I'll certainly talk about this in more detail when we do come to that, but I think... Moffat himself is slightly on autopilot in that series. And I think I actually think the 50th is the turning point mm. uh, for him and was kind of the turning point for me as well. Mm. Uh, Capaldi, actually, more than anything, was the turning point, because if they'd cast an actor I wasn't invested in and didn't think could bring something interesting, if they'd cast kind of I like elements of Matt Smith's and portrayal. But if they cast another Matt Smith, yeah. I mm-hmm. think I could well have drifted away mm. at that point. Mm. But casting Capaldi, I thought was interesting because he was. I, I'd wanted an older doctor, and he was an actor I was already familiar with and knew was very good. So that brought me back. But I still think it wasn't until maybe series 10, well, maybe the end of series 9, that I really properly got back into this is something that I actively look forward to watching every week. Yeah. As like, I can remember actually, um, Jacob and I watched series 10 together uh, when it aired. And I, I can remember week on week saying to each other, like, this is really good. Yeah. This is yeah. really good again. Like, I'm almost <laughs> waiting for the other shoe to drop yeah. for the whole series. <laughs> um,
1: I remember having a similar thing. i kind of waiting for the turn to come and it not yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. And it not be excellent anymore, but it was really good. Yeah. And I'm glad that Moffat managed to turn it around, actually, because I think that when it yeah. got back to being kind of... yeah. The best that he can bring to the show, it was better than when he set out. Really, I think he, I think, yeah. I think he got better over the course yeah. of it.
2: I definitely agree with you as well about towards the end of series nine. I think I was very, I was overly critical at times because of what had gone before. I was so hmm. skeptical, and it was when Heaven Sent came on. Yeah, so I was it seems like, the same. This me. is fantastic. And then I really started to look at it more positively. Yeah, Yeah, Heaven Sent
0: was a big turning point for me as well, to the point that I've gone back and, like, Rewatched a lot of Series 9 and realized it's better than I thought mm. it was when mm. it first aired. See, series yeah, 8 as well, actually.
1: I, I think it took the change of companion for me to maybe yeah. see it as a fresh mm-hmm. start yeah. for I mean, myself so and my enjoyment of the show. Yeah. So I'm interested to rewatch the episodes in Series 9 that you guys rate really highly, mm. but I don't think at the time they really struck me. Mm. I think because I wasn't expecting very much, and so yeah. maybe I was kind of not paying attention in the same way as if i'd been if i'd been open to the possibility that there was going to be something new going on mm. Mm. but i think that actually um it was kind of the, the kind of rapport between bill and the doctor was what kind of got me enthused again i, th-
0: I think i had a similar thing and like it's go- going back i've realized how interesting the relationship between clara and the 12th doctor is mm. in ways that i didn't appreciate at the time
1: I think I found the character of of Clara kind of frustrating when she was first introduced because mm. um, there didn't seem to be much to her, even though I think Jenna Coleman is very good.
3: Yeah. Mm.
1: So I think that that's kind of partly why it was difficult to come around to when it was actually more developed because
3: yeah.
1: st- it was starting from a point of not really feeling like I knew much about her because she was part of this impossible girl thing. Yeah. I, I... don't mind the payoff for that in some mm. ways, but I think that even though the plot was so much about her as a element of the plot, mm. I feel like we didn't necessarily get much of her personality. And one of the things that mm. I like about... One of the things that I think makes the show work well when it really works is when you kind of know who the doctor and the companion... Not like everything about them but you have a sense of where they're coming from and their dynamic and I felt I feel like that was maybe a factor in when it was difficult to get behind
0: we'll certainly talk about this in the future but I think one of the things with Clara is that the elements of her that are interesting take a while to develop Mm -hmm. and they're not really there until Capaldi's tenure Mm -hmm. and even like I mean she's really good in series eight but I think it's it's series nine where her character and that dynamic really start to kind of mutate into something very, very interesting and very unusual. Uh, but we will we will talk about that.
1: It's kind of interesting in a way that something that hasn't affected our journeys with the show at all pretty much is when they changed the Doctor to be a woman at last yeah. just because it didn't really make a difference yeah. to uh, the
2: character.
1: Well, it, it did make it. I mean, that sounds yeah. mean, like Jodie Whittaker is trying to bring something new to the role, mm. but... It's kind of interesting how that seemed like people were a bit up in arms about it at the time. People who were wrong but it's not actually made really any difference to the core being of the show.
0: No, I I think the things that really make a difference between series 10 and 11 that we will no doubt talk about in minute detail are really nothing to do with Certainly nothing to do with the Doctor being a woman and nothing really to do with Jodie Whittaker's portrayal of the Doctor. Mm. Although, obviously, her portrayal of the Doctor is very distinct from Capaldi's mm. or from any other that came before. Mm. So it's, it's, I'm not by any means saying she's not bringing anything new. No doubt there will be some, some things to say about all of that in the future. In fact, we've already said some things because we seem to not be able to stop talking about Series 11 <laughs> and everything we've recorded so far.
3: Hold on there, please, madam. I need you to do as I say.
1: This could be a potential crime scene. Why are you calling me, madam? Because you're a woman? Am I? Does it suit me? What? Oh, yeah. I remember. Sorry. Half an hour ago, I was a white haired Scotsman.
0: I think, actually, that at this point about wraps us up. <laughs> we've, we've been through a great deal in the last couple of hours. Reliving our Doctor Who journeys.
1: We've laughed, we've cried, Mm. I've been getting ill.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, with this episode, actually, our sort of formula that we're doing this podcast in is complete and is apparent. Because you may notice what we've done is, while they've been in parts, we've essentially done three episodes so far. One on the classic series, one on the new series, and then a sort of miscellaneous one. And that's the formula that we are going to do going forward. What we're doing is we are going through the series, both the classic and new series, in random order on the basis that that tends to be, for some of the reasons that we've talked about actually in the course of this episode, that tends to be the way people experience the classic series in particular, Mm. which is why we all started in kind of weird places with the classic (laughs) series. And so I think that makes sense as a way to reflect the way in which people watch Doctor Who. It's it's not unprecedented anyway. Um, I actually recently got into reading Johnny Spandrel's blog where he goes through every story in random order. Which is as terrifying as it sounds. Um, but yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. So what we, what we have already done is we have rolled dice to determine uh, what we'll be doing next. So I can reveal that the next episode will be on season 11. So we're going from Pertwee's first series to his last one, which is going to be interesting in itself. After that, uh, in a, a spicy twist, given what we've been talking about in the last like <laughs> section of this podcast, we're actually doing series six. So um, that's going to be... In- I'm really genuinely interested to... Because uh, I've rewatched some of series six recently... And mm. had kind of, some of my opinions from the time have, haven't have changed, some have. So I'll be interested to see what we make of it, collectively, on reviewing. And then, rounding us out, we'll be doing an episode on companions.
1: Uh, h- humanoid companions. Humanoid
0: companions, because we're not including K9. In the rankings. In the rankings. What we'll be doing is we'll each be like ranking our favourite companions, and we'll talk about talk about those lists and talk about what we think makes a good companion and Mm. probably some of the the things that we've already touched on in this podcast really so we'll be with you again hopefully quite soon with season 11 at least the first part of that until then you can find us on twitter at lots planets pod you can also find um, myself and bethan on twitter our twitter's are linked in there you can also rate and review us on apple podcasts which would be very much appreciated also leave a like or a comment on soundcloud that would be wonderful and you can find also find our facebook page if you really want to
1: because
0: <laughs> i don't know is that even a thing people still advertise yes so until then and uh, thank you very much for listening i've been Kiron.
1: i've been Bethan.
0: i've been jacob thank you very much we'll see you soon